Well, welcome. Uh, I want to uh, begin by saying put on your seatbelts. We're going to go quickly. There's so many things that, uh, that are going on this morning, and I'm just glad you're here. I want to do some things uh, to combine a lot of the various factors together to tie them back into what we're doing in the book of Acts. And so the story that we're learning in through the book of Acts is uh, Luke has this two-volume set, Luke and Acts, and we're in the middle of the book of Acts learning how God's church has started 2,000 years ago. But in the middle of this uh, testimony of Paul, uh, there are some lessons that I want to point out that I think tie into all of, all of our groups because we understand as Paul starts uh, out uh, in, uh, in a new story, in a new way, we too are all starting out. And so as this quote says, uh, God put us here to prepare this place for the next generation. That's our job. Raising children and helping the community, that's preparing for the next generation. And of course, the American Baptist <clears throat> group in, in Ohio uh, we're concerned about the intergenerational leadership <clears throat> to think about passing on the torch and raising up a new generation. So rise up, O sons of God. Uh, investing in the church is something we want to do by bringing uh, all generations together so you have a place in this. And that's why, Gene, your work is important. As you work with kids in school, uh, we know what you do, and you're in a corner of the world that we can't get to. But in that corner, God is at work through you. And whether it's a, a good news club, uh, inside or outside, wherever you go, how many groups do you, how many schools were that? Five schools? Six schools, okay. Likewise, 66 years, 65 years. Uh, we are committed to sponsor and, and support. Again, wh whatever the generation of needs, you guys fill in that gap as well. So whether you realize it or not, God is doing a whole lot of work in your lives. I wanted to tell you about one, one story uh, that took place, was it last Friday night? I think it was last Friday night when the Cub Scouts had uh, their one-year celebration. Uh, you've seen these guys. Uh, Tyler was a guy that came to help out in our spaghetti dinner. And when Tyler came, uh, he was serving bread and taking out food things to the tables. <clears throat> and I went to his mom and, uh, and I said to him, your son's being used and you don't have any idea how. And she listened and he listened to me. I said, you know what you did? He said, no. He said, uh, when you were serving, there were three other boys at another table who were eating spaghetti that were not as, let's say, put it nicely, not as disciplined or not sitting at the table. They were kind of, but when they saw Tyler serving, one of the kids said to his mom, maybe that's what I should be doing. And the influence that you're having on other peers at your age, you're setting a pace, an example. I want to continue to say, uh, good on you. That's what they say down under. But good on you. Because God is using your example in a time and age where we really need men, men and women to set that pace. Well, I want to take a word from Baden-Powell. You know the start of the Boy Scouts. And one of the things that you may not know, 
that in England, back in 1909, when he wrote that original handbook, the reason why he was interested in was because the English had become quite, uh, how do I say this? Uh, uh, they were become very theological, they were. They were very head, heady. They knew what the Bible, they were into church and a high church and, 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 and bless, bless them, they did a good job in that part. But Baden-Powell said, you know, there's something more than just church. You just can't have it in the head. You've got to have it acted out. And so he was concerned that there was a discrepancy between what he saw on Sunday morning and what he saw during the week. And his desire was to say there has to be an integration that if you're going to be good, you have to be good all the way through. And it's got to be theology has to be practical. So demonstrate your faith. Well, So he wrote that sentence in the Scouting for Boys. We aim for the practice of Christianity in everyday life and dealings. And not merely the profession of faith on theology on Sundays. Well, he picked up on something that the Bible picks up on all the time. That there are people who can know about God and have information in the head, but they don't demonstrate their faith. And so James would say, prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not hearers only. But prove yourselves, not just hearers who, and this is the underlining part, who delude themselves. So you get confidence in the fact that you have the right answer, but you may not have the right life. And so this was the tension that there was a theology and there's a practice. And, and in England at that time, there was a heavy weight on theology, little weight on the practice. What happened was when Baden-Powell brought in the practice, there was, there was a balancing, and so there was an integration of the faith and practice. Over time, however, what's taken place and what he didn't realize that if you leave out theology, you become pendulum a swing where practice becomes heavy and theology becomes light. And what happened over the course of the years is God was taken out and therefore secularism came in and England lost the title as of being a Christian nation. The secularists would say, we are no longer a Christian nation. The flag has the cross in the middle, has no meaning except as a symbol of a nation that's secular. Well, that tension, that, that swindling ping, uh, swing, is exactly what was taking place in the life of Paul. You see, Paul was very much an educated man, a scholarly man, a theological man, a man who had everything going for him in terms of his personal resources, his, his training, he was the best. And so Paul said, and the story is in Acts 9, you have heard of my former manner of life, how I used to persecute the church. Paul had a conviction that he was right and he was out to put other people who disagreed with him in prison. I persecuted the church beyond measure and I tried to destroy it. He watched the first martyr, Stephen, who was murdered under Paul's watch. But Paul had a change when he met Christ and that conversion that took place when he met Christ 
wasn't a theological education. It was a spiritual encounter where he met Jesus Christ face to face. And Jesus says, why are you fighting me? Quit kicking me. At that point, Paul repented. Not because he had a change of cognition or because he was, uh, had a change of theology. He met Jesus. Anytime you meet Jesus, everything changes. Well, for Paul, he would go on to say that <clears throat> about himself and others in Romans 10. I want to testify about us as Jewish folks at that point, that they have a zeal for God. They were religious. They were spiritual. They had a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. This isn't knowledge that's information. This is personal encounter, relational knowledge with Christ. You can have a zeal for religion. My, my word, you should be in Japan. You should be in Thailand. You should be in India. There's a lot of zeal for religion around the world. But Paul says they were ignorant, first point. The second point was they were independent. You can have a zeal for religion and not have a zeal for God, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. It's my opinion. It's what I believe about God. It's my, me, myself, and I, all those guys, as opposed to what God says. So there's an ignorance and there's an independence. And when Paul encountered Christ, his theology and his practice all shifted. Because what Paul had was a systematic theology in Judaism that left him heartless. He didn't have the love that God wanted him to have. And therefore, to get into the story, what I want you to understand is to get into the story, there's a, there's a way to read the Bible that unless you, you, you really read it, to understand it, to know who this God is and who Jesus is and why he came and how this all fits together. I want to take you back a little bit to, to the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, I didn't know anybody who knew anything about the Old Testament. I didn't know anything about the New Testament because in my family, we never talked about religion. We never talked about the Bible. But there's a passage, a famous passage in the Old Testament that you may have heard about. It's a time when Moses was taking Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And they were slaves in Egypt. And uh, for the longest time, you have to go back in Genesis and Exodus, Exodus to get the story. But the phrase comes when Moses is called to take Israel out of captivity He's taking them to somewhere called the land of milk and honey. This is the promised land. You've heard of the, the phrase land of milk and honey? Well, here's a test for you. For those of you who understand English, what does that mean? When I read the Bible, I, I really am after what does it mean, not what it just says. It says milk and honey. But you have to get back into their time to understand. Well, milk and honey. Does that sound good to you? Uh, quarter pounder, prime rib. There's other things I could, but milk and honey, you take back into their, their context. Where do you get milk? Mm. So an American would say, these Holsteins will do. 
<clears throat> and so in our understanding, when we read a book about that, we think, well, it's about milk and cows. And, but <clears throat> the question is, where did the Israelites get milk? When you think about walking through the desert, well, they go to the Costco over in Israel, and they get this <clears throat> Jewish milk. <clears throat> but it came, probably came from a guy like this. And so when you think of Israel, you would think not so much of cows, cause, but there, you'll find out there are cows, but more about goats. And so drinking goat milk is one thing, but how about this one? You ever think about camel milk? Hmm. I never thought about that. Drinking camel Ever milked a camel? Ever seen a camel being milked? Well, that's... But here's the point. When we read the Bible, when we think about milk, we think about milk. We think about... We don't think about goats and... But when the Bible is talking about goats, they're not talking about a domesticated produce uh, industry. When they're walking through the wilderness... The goats represent the untamed, wild, uh, out there among the rocks in the wilderness. Well, there's a lot that the Bible says about goats. Uh, Rebecca, the story of Rebecca and Jacob, uh, Jacob put on a goat skin to fool his father. They had goats do. Hmm. Well, where do you get honey? Duh. from bees. Now, what do bees represent in the Bible? There is proof, the archaeological proof, that in the land of Israel, there's, there was a lot of places where they got honey. But you wouldn't understand this uh, in terms of production. But back then, when you were out in the wilderness, that's where bees would make their nest, in the wilderness. They finally devised a way to harvest those bees into this kind of... Uh, strange clay mound where bees would go into the ground or they would make their honeycombs in this uh, in these clay pots in these horizontal rows and uh, this is very common very very common in, in the Middle East back 2,000 3,000 years ago but the idea that milk and honey was in the middle of nowhere the meaning of this passage is not that he's going to give you milk and honey. The idea is that there's nothing out there in the wilderness. And the meaning that Moses understood that when God was calling his people into the wilderness, he was giving them a fresh start. But by bringing them into this land of promise, the idea that you can start all over you can get out of the captivity. You can have a second chance because in the promises of God, you will find second chances a lot. It means that there's forgiveness. It means that there's mercy and salvation. It means that there's going to be grace that's new, that's not of the old style, but this grace is going to lead you into the freedom, freedom from sin and freedom from captivity. But it, it's really rooted in this idea of Friendship, atonement, connection with God himself. Well, only for the sake of time, let me run through this. Moses heard from God, and he told Israel all the promises of the Old Testament, called a covenant, called a testament. Uh, 
And a testament, the last will and testament is the will, what God's desire is for you. And therefore, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. There's an old promise and a new promise. By the way, do you know how many promises there are in the Bible? Guess. How many? How many? Did I, was that up there? You're right on. But Peter says, God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. These promises are, are wonderful promises. Now the question is, how many of them do you know? How many of the promises do you know? But one of these promises that you understand, when you keep the word of God, God will be faithful to keep his promise. But if you forget the promises, and this is what happened in Israel. In the Old Testament, you remember how many tribes there were? Twelve tribes. What happened to the Israel in the history of Israel? There was a split. The northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and the 11, 10 tribes, 10, 11 tribes that went north they would forget God and forget the promises, and there was only one tribe left, the tribe of Judah, where the nation of the Jewish people get their, their name is derived from Judah, or Jewish people from Judah. Well, here's the thing. God was going to bring Israel out into the promised land, but they got caught up along the way with the nations, and so they forgot God, and they forgot God's promises. But here's what the promises are. I want to be very clear. Jesus didn't preach you, didn't preach to say, get your life together, shape up or ship out. He didn't say, follow me or that's it. He was not interested in a moral religion. He wasn't interested in a spiritual education. He wanted a relationship with you. And therefore, he wants not you to turn over a new life and be a better person. He wants to turn you into a new life container of Christ in you. Now that's what Paul needed to understand. That the story of Exodus, Paul was being dragged out of a religious system into a brand new relationship. And he said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. There was a man who did not understand that. His name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, and, and this was the teacher of Israel. And he says, Nicodemus, don't you understand these things? You are the teacher. You are, you are the scholar. You're the one that knows. You're guiding people, and you've missed it because you need to be born again. What are you talking about, said Nicodemus. And Jesus says, unless you, unless you are born again, your perspective is going to be anchored on earth. You won't see, you won't understand the promises, you won't understand the kingdom of God. It's not religion. It's not religion. It's not performing, becoming a moral person. It's a relationship. And so Jesus said, follow me. Well, it's about starting all over. It's getting that second chance. Mark and I went down to Twinsburg yesterday, and let me tell you about a second chance. Another group that's being used by God in different corners besides child evangelism and Boy Scouts and other things is this group called Kairos. Kairos is a prison ministry that's been around for 27, 28 years uh, here in Ohio, here, here about 20, in, the, in the States, 
But kairos means God's special time. This is chronological time. But kairos means when God shows up and miracles take place. It's a special time. Like when, a, when you, when you want to appoint a, a child's coming, well, we're going to have the child delivered on the, the 17th of February. But the child decides, no, no, I'm going to show up on the 10th. It's a different timing. It's when God moves and the water breaks and, ah, it's kairos time. Let's go. Kairos is a special presence of God doing a work right now. And wow, it's that kind of Pentecostal uh, experience where God shows up and work takes place. Prison. Second chances. Forgiveness. Do you realize how many people in America are in prison? Look at this, you guys. Incarcerated Americans. In the last hundred years, look at the growth of crime in America. And if you were to go to the parole systems around the country, Ohio got an F minus grade on getting people out of prison. You see, there are more people locked up in the United States in state prisons and in our jails that are just, it's, it's crazy. And the reason for that is because there's, there's all kinds of things going on in our culture because people are being locked up for lack of child support. This gal happened to grow go to get some treatment, and when she went to treatment, she couldn't do her job, and when she couldn't do her job, she couldn't pay the child support, so they put her back in jail, and it's a vicious cycle. Well, it goes on and on and on, but here's what I want you to see. When you have theology and practice being divorced, you have God out of your country because of lawlessness, Jesus said, when you take away God and you take away the Bible, when you take about our understanding of what theology and, and the gospel means, what happens in a society is the love of many will grow cold. Bob, Bob in Sunday school was always, always talking about how the hatred in this country has risen. And I agree with him. The violence has risen. We've lost something tremendously sacred when we lose our ability to love. But when lawlessness increases, you won't trust people. You won't love people. They won't get a second chance. But let me tell you about a story of a man who did get a second chance. Mr. LaRue. He's here, he was here in Ohio. I don't know the full details, but yesterday I was listening to the guys talking about him at, uh, at Kairos Mr. LaRue ran the entire organization of the Aryan race in the country from Ohio prison. He ruled and dictated and commanded his armies throughout the, throughout the country. Well, guess what? He came to Kairos. And in Kairos, he had a conversion experience. He met Jesus. He had an encounter with Jesus. And with that, he went uh, forward. He says, I am now a Christian. I no longer believe what I was taught to believe. This old way of thinking, I no longer hold. I'm a new creation. And a hit was put out on him to kill him in prison. The number two guy was in charge. 
And guess what? The number two guy becomes a Christian. And when he starts talking, the story goes on and on about second chances. Number two guy, and Mr. LaRue, they begin to change the entire Aryan race uh, gang that they were in in that prison, and word got out. He's no longer with us. You see, when God comes in, and it's a Kairos moment, and you understand forgiveness, and you understand the love of God, and you understand what that cross means, and you understand how the Spirit comes, and you understand this Egypt is no longer me, I'm over here, and God gives you brand new life. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing we want to pass on. That's what Paul says, when God who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace. Paul understood grace. He understood that sin no longer was the issue, but the broken relationship was. But getting back in that relationship, he would be restored and renewed. Those are good things, wonderful things. When you take God out of your country, when you take God out of your life and lawlessness increase, you get what you get. But you put God back in your life and to realize he's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for the church and you're part of it and you can be involved if you know the grace of Christ, if you know the salvation, if you know the wonderful good news that it's not just being good, it's being redeemed in this relationship. Well, Let's put our theology into practice because we'll be here till 12 o'clock if I, you let me have my way. Practice. Let's go to the promises. Can you explain, can you explain the message of the Bible? If you can't explain it, then you don't know it. If you don't know it, you can't live it. You see, there, there are Christians who live, there are people who live their life as Christians And then there are people who live the Christian life. They're not the same. One looks like a Christian, lived their life as a Christian, but the other lives the Christian life, which is the relationship that I meet with God and I want to do what he wants to do, not out of duty, but out of devotion. You see, duty is I have to do that. Devotion is I want to do that. Big difference. Can you explain the message of the Bible? So, for the Boy Scouts and for the rest of you, here's a little book. It's not very big. It's called the New Testament. Have you read it? How many have read the New Testament all the way through? If you haven't read the New Testament, then you're back in the elementary school. You don't really know much about what the Bible says. You need to know and read. So let me invite you to take this month the book of John and read through the book of John. That's one book. There are 27 books. They're not that big. But if you haven't read the New Testament, I would invite you to read the New Testament first, beginning with John. Don't start with Revelation. Start with John. If you haven't read the whole Bible, why? You're missing more than the 3,000 promises. You should hear all the stories. They're great stories. Well, second thing, put it into practice. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Paul says, I used to do this to look good in the eyes of men. I got a lot of respect. I got a lot of honor because my position gave me honor among men. Why do I preach what I preach? Because I get power to speak what I want to speak, doing the word of God. If I'm doing it for, the, for that reason, I'm doing it for selfish purposes. 
Why do you do what you do? For Paul, he says, I do it for Christ. And so I no longer am a man pleaser. I'm a God pleaser. I do things because Jesus called me to do things. And then my devotion is to him. Um, How about this one? Are you growing in love? Are you growing in love for Christ? Are you growing in love for people? Are you growing in your ability to forgive yourself and others? This is pretty practical. From bullies to bullets to prison. How good are you at forgiving? How good are you really setting people free from prison of guilt? Are you helping other people come to know this wonderful God who died for you, who lives for you, who intercedes for you, who wants you? One is religion, one is relationship. Do you know the difference? I hope you do. But here's the thing. As with Israel and the Old Testament, God says, behold, I will do something now among you new it will spring forth will you not be aware of it because that wilderness means you get a second chance the grace means you get a third and fourth fifth six seven eight nine thousand ten thousand hundred thousand just you just grow in grace you see jesus didn't preach to tell you to turn over a new life he invites you to a relationship to make you new that's good news that's what you're doing that's what we're doing here in this generation, in that generation, in that generation. We're intergenerational. We want to follow Christ. And we invite you to do so. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your work and service. Thank you for your witness to the other uh, peers. That you're, you're, Your world is going to be different than ours. So we need men like you. So as you continue to grow, I invite you to follow Christ and give your lives to him. Because if you don't do that... You'll just be good people, and your world will fall apart. But you need to take what God's promises are to have that new leaf, new life in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. 3,000 promises, and you're faithful to every one. We're not so faithful. Forgive us for our sins, but God, take us out of Egypt. Take us out of the wilderness. Bring us into that promised land of grace. Give us your wisdom by your spirit this morning that we understand what salvation and the Bible and what you're all about. Give us the new life in Christ, we pray. Amen.